0: Well, I hope, church family, that after today, you will never question the relevance of the Bible for your daily lives again, because as we turn to Matthew 15, we'll find a conversation about washing hands. And is there anything more relevant than washing hands these days? As COVID once again is spreading, maybe uh, like me this past week, you've experienced the flu. (laughs) So uh, I had that this past week. So washing hands is top of mind. Relevance, here we are, Matthew 15, talking about washing hands. Even back then, they were fighting over the appropriate ways to wash hands. But the discussion that Matthew brings to bear this morning is not just a a PSA for our benefit. Matthew's recording of this discussion about washing hands is meant to reveal a deep-seated tension that's been building throughout his gospel. A, A tension between what man says and what God says. A tension between the the tradition of the Jewish leaders of Jesus' time and, and what it is that they are teaching and the teaching of Jesus himself. We've seen questions arising regarding fasting from John the Baptist's disciples. We've seen accusations from the Pharisees against Jesus and his disciples regarding the observance of the Sabbath as well as some serious condemning charges against Jesus, that he is an instrument of the enemy, Satan himself, even though it's abundantly clear to any dispassionate onlooker that he is from God, that he is, in fact, the son of God. Well, this morning, this tension between what man says and what God says comes to a head as Jesus confronts important Jewish leaders that have come all the way from Jerusalem. Somehow, word about Jesus has gotten to the Pharisees, the leaders and scribes in Jerusalem, and they've sent a delegation to the small town backwater of Galilee to come and see for themselves what this Jesus is all about. And when they arrive, they begin to challenge Jesus and his disciples regarding their adherence to the traditions of the elders, specifically in the area of washing hands. They want to condemn Jesus, discredit Jesus because his disciples have failed to adhere not to what God has commanded, but what man has commanded on top of what God has commanded. And Jesus wants to make it abundantly clear to those who have the nerve to question him that the words of man have no authority over him because his authority is greater. His word is the final word because his words are God's Words and church, I hope we can declare in faith that the Word of God is always better than the words of man. This passage is so important for us to consider. Because the tension that is presented in the text is one that we struggle with often, especially as an historic, established Baptist church. We've been around for 160 years. And in those 160 years, we can develop traditions, ways of doing things that we have to be careful don't become in our minds equal to the word of God. We have to constantly ask ourselves, what is it that we value more? What will we hold to at the end of the day as we seek to live lives that are fully pleasing to the Lord? The words of God or the words of man? It shouldn't be a discussion. And yet we struggle often to submit tradition and preference the way that we have always done it to the word of God. And yet it is something that we must do in order to remain a faithful people. I want us to declare and believe this morning, Bayleaf Baptist Church, that the word of God is perfect. More than that, the word of God is sufficient. We don't need to add anything to what God has said in order to know how to please him. Because if we do, we may find ourselves in a precarious situation when we begin to judge others by our own standards rather than the standard of God's word. At the end of the day, if what you have heard said and what you believe is not what Jesus has said, we need to reexamine our beliefs before the word of god so that we don't fall in the same trap that the pharisees and those around them did in our text today let me be clear traditions can be good godly advice from brothers and sisters about how to live lives in accordance with the word of god can be helpful but they must always be rooted and controlled by the word of God and never equated to the word of God. We must always be willing to place tradition or the way that we have done things at the foot of God's word to be reformed so we don't get off track. So let's see how this tension Between the word of God and the words of man unfold in our text today and the challenge that Jesus presents to us as his people to keep the word of God as our central authority and priority. Matthew chapter 15. We're going to read the first 20 verses of this chapter. And here's what the word of God says. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they don't wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, well, why do you break the commandment of God? (laughs) For the sake of your tradition. For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother And then he turned to the crowds and he begins to directly address them and warn them about these Jewish leaders and their teaching. And he says, as he calls the people to himself, hear and understand, verse 11, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and they said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were really offended when they heard this saying? And he answered, Every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. He said, are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth, let me break it down for you as clearly as possible. Whatever goes into the mouth, into the stomach, it goes, it's expelled. But what comes out of the mouth, it proceeds from the heart And the heart is what defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands, it might be unwise, but it doesn't defile anyone. This really is a showdown, friends, between the word of God and the words of man, and which can lead us to a life fully pleasing to the Lord, which can provide us with an actual cleansing that we need in order to have fellowship with a holy and righteous God. Let me try to outline the specific tension in this text so we can understand the thrust of what Jesus is teaching us today. The Pharisees and scribes accused Jesus and the disciples of ignoring the tradition of the elders And in condemning the disciples, they hope to discredit Jesus and all that he is doing. Now, what is the tradition of the elders? You may remember us talking about this when we discussed the Sabbath. The Jewish people had at this time something referred to as the oral Torah, a set of teachings developed by the Pharisees to function as a sort of fence around the law. The people of God were so concerned with not breaking the law of God that they added additional laws to keep you from getting even close to the line of the law that God had established. Now, the problem is that the Pharisees over time began to see this law around the law as nearly or equal to as authoritative as the word of God itself. And in particular here, the Pharisees are referencing their teaching on the washing of hands. That's how, that's how tight we're getting here as they try to dismiss and discredit Jesus. We're talking about washing hands. Now what's going on? Well, in Exodus chapter 30, verses 17 to 21, the Lord commands priests and only priests to ritually wash their hands before temple ceremonies. Now, apparently the Pharisees had taken, at least in some circumstances, this ritual prescribed to priests and had now extended the same requirements to be observed by some families at normal family meals. And they were surprised when they observed this holy man's disciples not observing what they had been teaching, the Pharisees anyway. If they were set apart, if they were truly holy men, why wouldn't they pursue complete holiness? Why wouldn't they do everything in their power to be seen as holy. Maybe these disciples are not as devout as they should be. Maybe Jesus isn't quite the holy man that he's claiming. But Jesus turns this attack back on them. And he says, let's talk about the value of your teachings as it relates to obedience to God. Let's talk about how many times not only are your teachings becoming burdensome to the people of God, they're actually leading people away from faithfulness to God. For instance, you know that Scripture commands us to honor our father and our mother, and that we shouldn't revile them, that we should take care of them in their older age. All the older parents in the room say, Amen. Yet in your teaching, You've developed an escape clause, a loophole from children actually doing what God has commanded. You've provided a way for these children to pledge money to the temple that they should be using to care for their parents and thus withhold that money from their care. Now they're allowed to spend this money on themselves, but they don't have to waste it on their parents. Basically, if someone claimed money as Corbin, a temple gift, there was a restriction placed upon it until they died. Now you could get out of it later, but you could use that Corbin money for your own personal needs, but not for anything outside of your personal needs because it was devoted to the temple. So even if your parents were starving, or had no place to go, sorry, mom and dad, I can't give you any funds. I can't help you because everything that we have, everything in our possession is dedicated to the temple. You're going to have to go and help yourself. So Jesus says your oral tradition, your teaching. Your man-made law has actually led people away from the word of God, from the heart of God, and created more transgression against the law. You and your traditions, careful, have made void the word of God. So who is really pleasing the Lord? Who's, Who's really pursuing the Lord here? To seal the deal of this condemning teaching, Jesus then quotes the prophet Isaiah, quoting from Isaiah 29, verse 13. He says, your lips say you want to honor God, but your hearts are far from God. Your worship is vain because you teach the commandments of men and not of God. They're teaching the commandments of men as doctrine. And this is problematic. And I hope we can see why. Because friends, the commandments of men cannot transform the hearts of the people of God. The commandments of men cannot save us. Only the word of God and the power of spirits can give us what we need to be able to please God. God. Friends, let's remember what we learned earlier when we studied the sermon on the mount, a a central kingdom truth that Jesus is echoing here in verses 10 and 11. As he calls the people to himself, he says, hear and understand, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Christian transformation doesn't happen from the outside in. It happens from the inside out and it is completely a work of God. It doesn't matter how many things you try to do on the outside to give yourself the appearance of righteousness. It doesn't matter how many religious things you do in order to impress others to set you apart in the eyes of men. Hear me today, unless God does a miraculous work of new creation in your heart, you are just painting a tomb. You're just putting lipstick on a dead pig and at some point what is in your heart will come out. What a challenging word from Jesus. One that forces us even today to wrestle with the question, what am I, what are we relying upon to please God? What are we trusting in in order to be declared holy and righteous and in favor with God? The word of God or the words of man. Surely, God knows what pleases him more than we with broken, sinful hearts know what pleases him. What I want to do in our remaining time this morning is to take a moment, building upon what Matthew has recorded for us here from Jesus' teaching to remind us of the dangers of the words of man and the blessings of the word of God to seal up in our hearts as a people, why we must first and foremost be committed to the inspired and errant word of God. That, That his teaching, the teaching of Jesus must always be preeminent in our mind and that we will rest as the final authority upon what he has said. So I think some of these are evidence but I wanna make sure they're explicit for our mutual benefit. So let's think about the dangers, the potential dangers of the words of man, building our lives upon the words of man. Why is that dangerous? Versus what is the blessing of building our lives upon the word of God as we seek to live lives that are fully pleasing to our God? You with me? All right, let's begin with the dangers, the potential dangers of the words of man. Why they can't be trusted like the word of God and must be continually checked against the word of God. Firstly, potentially the words of man, if we seek to build our life on the teaching and traditions of men, they can build pride. The words of man can build within us pride. When we rely upon our own understanding, when we rely upon our own wisdom, To find salvation or righteousness when we trust in ourselves to do what only God can do. And in the process, look to ourselves. We will often, always miss God. Think of the ridiculousness of this passage. When When you consider all that we have witnessed of Jesus... The incredible miracles, the the eye opening, spirit enlivening teaching. When When you recognize what the Pharisees must have heard in Jerusalem in order to justify sending this group all the way to Galilee, what is it that the Pharisees get hung up on? Washing hands. Washing your hands. Before you eat. Now, this seems to be a a very minor thing when set against the miracles of Jesus. Like you're missing the forest for the trees. But these Pharisees were so consumed with their tradition, so consumed with the, the minuteness of their obedience and what they thought it took to please God, that they missed the son of God standing in front of them. That's what happens when you trust in the words or the actions or traditions of men. You begin to look at yourself and, and build pride in yourself and miss the work of God. Not only does the word of man build pride, it also masks our hearts. The words of man mask our hearts. Beyond us, beyond causing us to trust in ourselves and our own wisdom and the traditions they can produce, the words of man can cause us to forget our ultimate problem. In fact, oftentimes they reinforce our ultimate problem. We can think that eating certain things will make us pure. We can think that engaging in certain activities will make us clean. But without God doing a miraculous work to change our hearts, as Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 23, these activities simply have the appearance of wisdom, promoting self-made religion and not devotion to God. They're just providing cover for us, allowing uh, from allowing God to do the actual work in our hearts that we need to have done in order to save us, to transform us, to change us for his glory. And in doing so, they thirdly move us away from God. In this particular story, the tradition that the Pharisees created allowed for a loophole from obedience to God. They didn't have to take care of their parents like they were told they needed to and what appeared to be religious. Now think about this. On the face of it, this seems to be pretty, a pretty big commitment to the Lord. Oh, you know what? I just, I just went to the temple today and I just devoted every single thing that I own to the temple. Who does that? someone really religious and committed to the Lord like me. That's who does that. It seems really religious until you realize the whole reason they were doing it is to keep all the money for themselves until they die. And who cares what happens to it after you die? So what was, or had the appearance of being religious was in fact rebellious. Just another way to get what they wanted all along and to keep other people around them from getting what was rightfully theirs. It moved them away from God by building pride and masking hearts. And finally, the final danger of the word of man and why we shouldn't build our lives upon it is that they change. Traditions change, preferences change, culture changes. I was reading one of the commentaries this week about this commitment to washing hands and different teachers differed on how much water you actually had to use to make sure that your hands were clean. So how do you, was it one pot, two pots of water? Is that what makes you clean? Different teachers would tell you different things. So why are you building your life or your standing before God on competing ideologies rather than in a place that is more certain? This is not the life that God has for us. To worry about where we stand before him, there is a way to make sure we can know what pleases God. And that leads us to the blessings of the word of God. Those are the dangers. The dangers that it it builds pride that it masks our hearts, that it leads us away from the word of God. And it's constantly a changing target. But here are the blessings of the word of God. If we we commit to trusting in the word of God as our ultimate authority, our ultimate place of knowledge of what it takes to please God, here's here's what happens as we engage the word of God. It It doesn't build pride, it exposes pride. The word of God exposes our frailty and our desperate situation. I want you to think about the blessing of the confrontation that Jesus offers here. What we see in this text is actually a means of grace to all those who are listening with ears to hear because Jesus wonderfully tells them what you have been trusting in to please the Lord is wrong, it's flawed. Really, you're just trusting in yourselves and you've missed the activity of God. And in so doing, he provides an opportunity for change, for a rejection of self-righteousness, to a rejection of self-reliance, to fully rely upon Christ. You know James: 123 compares the Word of God to a mirror. And I've always found that to be a really helpful analogy. Because as we come to the word of God, on Sundays, as we gather corporately in our, hopefully our daily reading time before the Lord, as we come to the word of God, the Lord allows us to see ourselves as we truly are. Not as we hope to be, not as other people tell us we are, but as God sees us, as we are compared to the person and work of Jesus. And this brings us to a place of humility as we see the sinfulness of our hearts, all the ways that we are not righteous, all the ways that we are not holy, as the Spirit unveils within us things that do not honor the Lord. And this is an act of grace an act of grace for the Lord to show us those places in our lives where we have been relying upon ourselves, trusting in ourselves to build righteousness rather than in him, because that is a faulty foundation to build our lives upon. So the word of God exposes pride, it brings us to a place of humility, and secondly, it convicts the heart. It doesn't mask the heart, it It exposes those places and the recesses of who we are that have yet to be submitted to the lordship of Christ. In our text today, what he's confronting is greed, trying to keep all of our money for ourselves, power, thinking that true greatness is found in human institutions. It's the fear of man. Seen in the response of the disciples who come to Jesus on the other side of this. And they say, Hey, Jesus, do you know, this is verse 12, that the Pharisees were really offended by what you taught. And Jesus says, you shouldn't be worried about the Pharisees. Don't fear the Pharisees. You fear God because he is the ultimate authority. And I'm spending my life in devotion to him as the, as the Savior confronts these attitudes. As he confronts these words, he's convicting hearts to point them back to true faithfulness. This is what the word of God does. And in so doing brings us near to God, not away from God like the words of man do, but the word of God brings us near to God. As we come to the end of ourselves, With the help of the Spirit, remove those things that do not look like Jesus. We can actually walk in greater fellowship with God. Because as we walk in holiness, we can walk in fellowship. And we know more of the heart of God. And we begin to have the heart of God. And the promise is this, friends, whereas the words of man may change, the word of God never changes. What pleases God today will always please him, and we can rest in that assurance. So, here's the question that Jesus wants the crowds and the disciples then to wrestle with and us as his disciples today. Which will we trust? The words of man or the word of God? Church family, let's not say more than what God has said, but let's not say less than what God has said. Let's trust that his word is enough. And honestly, isn't there enough already contained in the word of God that God has explicitly said for us to get our head around in obedience without adding anything else to it? I haven't even gotten love one another right yet. Why would I add anything else to what God has already commanded? How can we respond this morning? Let me just offer some responses for us to consider as a people to this challenge for us to value the word of God as supreme over the words, traditions of man. Firstly, for those among us who are not followers of Jesus, if you would say this morning, I'm not a Christian, would you ask Jesus to transform your heart today? Let me remind you of the words of Christ in verses 15 to 20 as Peter asks Jesus to explain this parable to him. Whatever goes into the mouth, passes into the stomach and is expelled. Verse 18, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person. It's our sinful hearts that defile a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander, these sins, this sinfulness, that's what defiles a person, but to eat with unwashed hands, does not defile anyone. The Bible is very clear. All of us, every single person who's ever been born has a heart problem. We've all fallen short. We've all sinned and we need a savior. And it doesn't matter what activities you do in and of yourself. It doesn't matter what behaviors you try to engage in in the course of your everyday life. It doesn't matter how often you come to church. Unless God does a work internally in your, your heart, unless he speaks a, a new creation, an act of newness into your heart, you will not be changed. but, upon hearing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, if you respond in repentance and belief, if you commit your life to the lordship of Jesus Christ, to following him, to pursuing God in faithfulness, he will save you as only he can. Don't trust in your own work. Trust in the completed work of Christ. Salvation is found only there. Just a minute, we'll have some pastors and ministers appear in the front. We'd love to speak with you more about Jesus and the transforming work that he alone can do in your life. For the rest of us, for the majority of us in this room who are followers of Jesus, let me just offer three responses in addition to that. Firstly, let us as a people recommit ourselves over and over again to the ultimate authority of God's word. The ultimate authority of God's word. The Bible must be our ultimate authority, our guide to faith and practice. Let us live as a people in alignment with the truth of 2 Timothy 3.16 that we believe that all scripture is god-breathed and useful for teaching, reproof, correction, training and righteousness that the man of god may be complete and ready for every good work. Let's let's live in agreement with what was read over us by Pastor Aaron earlier today from Psalm 19 that we believe that the law of the lord is perfect. It is reviving to the soul. That the testimony of the lord is sure, making wise the simple. We don't make ourselves wise. The law of the Lord makes us wise. The precepts of the Lord, not the precepts of man, the precepts of the Lord are rights, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. It enlightens our eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. They are sweeter than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them. Our servant, your servant is warned and in keeping them, there is great reward. Do we see and believe and trust in the blessing and the goodness of God's word? It is is where we must find commonality. It is where we must submit in authority. This must be the place we come to when we disagree. The word of God must be the place we come to in a moment of crisis. We should not ask the question first and foremost, what does Jared say? We should not ask the question, what does Andy or Billy or Aaron or any other pastor in our church say? The question should not be, what do the deacons say? The first question we must ask at every time is what does the word of God say? Because I get it wrong. These guys get it wrong. Your Sunday school teachers, they get it wrong. Your parents occasionally get it wrong. Your children, they get it wrong. You know what never gets it wrong? The word of God. Let us make this our source of authority and commit ourselves. Church family, let's delight in. In the word of God, let's make much of the word of God. Let's let the words of God from the word of God continually be on our lips, encouraging each other and and challenging each other with what God's word says. Let's be a people of the book because we are committed to God and we know that God has revealed to us what is good through his word. And then secondarily, because of that, because of our ultimate commitment, the priority of God's word, the ultimacy of God's word, let's appropriately evaluate the traditions of men. The word of God is preeminent. Traditions, practices, the way we've always done it, it comes underneath the word of God, right? Let's say, let me, again, let me say unequivocally, What I said earlier, not all traditions are bad. Traditions can be very good because they connect us to generations of Christians, millennia of Christians who have gone before us to help us know how to follow the Lord, to give expression to worship, to give expression to our common belief. The problem comes. This is where the problem arises, among the people of God when we begin to hold our traditions our practices that are built up on the word of God as equal to the word of God this is where we have to constantly battle to make sure we're not fighting over the wrong things are judging people on the wrong things let me give you an example okay here's a command from the lord that we just sung about earlier we are called to praise the lord right that's pretty clear throughout scripture that that we as the people of God are to praise the Lord, to, to sing to him, to make much of him. Okay. That's the command. Now here's a way that people have praised the Lord in the past. When I was growing up in my church, my home church, Faith Baptist Church, here's something we did every fifth Sunday. We had something called a fifth Sunday singing. Anybody else remember this? Fifth Sunday singing. So if there was ever a fifth Sunday that came about in a month. That Sunday night, we would gather together and we'd have a hymn sing. And you just open up your hymnal and you just start shouting out page numbers. And whatever page number was heard by the music director, you just begin singing it. And hopefully, she and the piano t- the piano player knew what the song was because <laughs> we would just sing it. Now, I've never served at another church or been a part of another church since Faith Baptist Church that did 5th Sunday singing, okay? Now imagine if I had gone to the first church I joined after faith, Florida Boulevard Baptist Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And I I came to that church and I noticed that they didn't have 5th Sunday singing. And I said something like this, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites. You're apostates because... The Lord teaches us to praise the Lord and you don't have fifth Sunday singing. How can you praise the Lord? How, how, you must not love the Lord. You must not love the hymns. You must, you must not take seriously this command because you don't have fifth Sunday singing. Now, what I've done there is I've taken the, the application of a command, the, the way that one church Followed through on the faithful exposition of a command and I've made it equal to the command from the word of God. And I began to judge people based on this particular expression, this tradition, the way that this church did it, thinking that it was equitable to what all God's people should do. Now we laugh at that, but we do it all the time. We do it all the time. We have to be careful that the way that we've always done it is not taking in our mind the same place as what God has said. Because we get in danger when we do that. Now, there's benefit. Somebody had a good idea at some point. This is a great way to do this. And it serves the church for a period of time, but it doesn't mean it can't change. God's word never changes. The way that we apply it, the way we express it can't. And we've seen this play out in other places too. Other, other places of, of practice and expression in the local church where people had good intentions to protect us from getting close to transgressing the law. This is a different side of the conversation now where people tried to help us not get close to transgressing the law, but we began to treat the fence as the same as the word of God itself. In, in Baptist speak, our oral tradition usually can be described by the 3 D's drinking dancing and dress this is a common parlance in our our baptist circles where somewhere along the way someone with great intentionality and wisdom begin to say things like you shouldn't dance because if you dance you're going to get really close to breaking the law of god the word of god by doing inappropriate things or you shouldn't drink because Uh, alcohol has a lot of danger to it and we shouldn't get drunk. And I've seen a lot of destruction in drinking. So it's probably wise that you don't just, just stay away from alcohol altogether, or we're called to give God our best. And so you should, you should give the Lord your best in how you dress when you come to church. And all those things can be good things and, and wise counsel given to the church, but nowhere explicitly in scripture does it say, do not dance in any circumstance, or do not drink in any circumstance, or you cannot come to church if you don't wear your very best, most expensive thing. Those are good encouragements, but they're not equal to the word of God. And and the danger is we begin to believe those things and begin to judge those, the people around us by those encouragements as if, People don't arrive at the same place of conviction that they are not as devout or committed to the word of God as we are. Now, those are easy things. You can, you can spend time before the Lord in your own heart as to what things in, in your life you begin to allow to creep up at that same level and just entrust those to the Lord. Let's make sure that, that we as a people are committing to holding people accountable to what God's word has said. Now we can encourage each other toward faithfulness in certain ways, but let's not say more than, not less than, but not more than what God has said. Because you get into to dangerous territory there, friends. And you may make void the word of God by teaching the doctrines of men. And then finally, let's ask for the Spirit's help in exposing any problem areas in our hearts. Okay, when you sit before the word of God, and you begin to think, okay, I, I've held this for a long time. This is a, a really great way that I think to give expression to the Lord of my, my devotion to Him. This is a place of, of conviction in my life. Where I, I've liked the way we've always done it. Or I, I think this fence is really important. If that begins to be challenged, I want you to sit before the Word of God and the Spirit of God and ask this question: Is Am I offended? if that's challenged because it's from God's word and it shouldn't be removed, that's one possible thing. Or I'm offended because I just like it. And it's the way that I wanna do things, even though it's not explicitly stated in the word of God. I heard someone say one time that true spiritual maturity is seen in those moments when you don't get what you want. And I've seen in, in churches, especially established churches, when, when things begin to change occasionally, and, and listen, living organisms change. Things will change. God's word never changes. There are certain things that will never change. But traditions and how we do things can change over time. And in those moments of change, it's amazing how spiritual maturity begins to unveil itself. What is it that we're holding on to, friends? The word of God or the words of men? The only way that we'll walk forward in unity, the only way that we'll walk forward as a people in faithfulness, ultimately committed to the things of God is if by the power of the spirit, we are committed to the authority of God's word as our ultimate guide. If we will commit ourselves to submitting at all times to the word of God and the power of the spirit, then God will hold us fast for his kingdom purposes. And can you imagine what God would do with a unified people like that? Wherever you are, do you bow your heads? Spend some time asking the Lord to help you know how to respond to God's word this morning. Again, if you don't know Jesus and you've never given your life to him, we would invite you in a minute to come and pray with one of us. Let's help you understand this transformative gospel, the transformative work of Jesus and how he wants to transform you from the inside out. For the rest of us, what we commit this morning as a people to always making the word of God our priority, we will delight in it, hold fast to it, so we don't miss the activity of God. Because we're committed to our own thoughts, our own words, our own traditions more than God's. Would you ask the Lord even now to help protect us as a people by unifying us and our commitment to the word? Father, would you help us be a more faithful people because of our time before your word today? We pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. You stand and respond as the Lord leads. Thank you for worshiping with us. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website, bayleaf.org.